Bibles to 2 Samuel 19, uh, page 253, if you're using one of the Bibles behind the seats there. And uh, I'm just still enjoying all that. I don't know if I'm so much enjoying this, but I just recently turned 60. In fact, I'm actually... (laughs) I, I'm actually one, 60 years and 10 days old. Holy moly, this is bizarre. <laughs> tell me about it, Ed. I, I will tell you, it has uh, been some really in, introspective uh, days in the last couple of weeks. 60. I mean, some of it's been introspective just on blessings of life. I mean, knowing Christ. My wife. My family. Um, Just being able to do this. You. Man, you are such a blessing. It's also been pretty introspective just looking over the decades and kind of realizing really in light of our text, just, adversar- just adversarial times of life and adversities that have gone on over life. For instance, being the youngest, maybe naive, youngest child of three brothers and constantly being pummeled by them. Yeah, adversities of life, right? Um, I will say, just in younger days, going to four high schools in four states um, had quite a shaping reality in my life. Just even uh, particularly when I was younger, being very much a people person and growing up in a family of introspective engineers. That was interesting. Kind of the black sheep, never feeling like you're really understood. I remember when I was uh, in transitioning from 20 years of business into uh, moving into vocational ministry, literally being told by a gentleman at our church I had high respect for him, just saying, Doug, you're, you're not leaving a thriving career. And why are you doing this? Being a senior pastor that is not the typical hyper type A senior pastor. You know, going to these pastor conferences where you get around these guys, like, what in the world? Dudes, take a chill pill, man. I mean, it's like every meal is a competition. It's just like, I don't know, maybe 60 does that. And also, just it's interesting that. Uh, Sounds fatalistic. I don't mean it that way. But my dad died at 61. My oldest brother died at 62. And I just turned 60. It's interesting. It's interesting what that does. Um, I had this idea that when I hit 60, I would just finally get it. <laughs> like all the pieces would just come together. Any 60 or older with me on that? <laughs> Yeah, it just isn't happening. I just kind of thought you'd arrive and like there would be no more adversities, you know, that, that life would be no more chaos and everyone would just get along together and, and I would even get smarter. 
Um, I'll say coming back to Second Samuel, I kind of thought that when David became king, I mean, all the adversarial stuff that went on and the chaos that went on for the 10 plus years before David became king, I thought all that would be gone. I mean, after all, he's the king. And the truth of the story is, is as we've been following it through, is David becomes king. And I'll tell you, it's sweet for a little while there. I mean, David, God is working through David and people are beginning to come together, it looks like. And then he's, he's conquering over his enemies. And uh, Exodus 19 is in my mind where it's like, God says, I want to raise up a nation of priests. And it's like, maybe this is going to happen now. And man, this is awesome. David's just like, God, and he's on it. I mean, he's only 30 years old. I'm twice as slow. I, I thought maybe he would get it. And yet it's like ever since chapter 19, or I'm sorry, chapter 11, it's been chaos. It's just been chaos. It begins when David makes the choice to go to bed with Bathsheba. And it just keeps on going. Nathan confronts about it and he repents. David repents. And the Lord grants forgiveness, but yet in that, the Lord says to him, he says that, David, because you have despised me, I will raise up evil out of your house. There was consequences of that. And it just unleashes. It's Pastor Chris last week so well. I mean, he got like the boatload of chapters out of 2 Samuel. No, he didn't draw the short straw. <laughs> it's just the way it worked out. And, and as he was leading us through so well, I mean... Uh, we had learned that prior to that, David's son with Bathsheba dies. And then uh, Amnon, David's son, ra rapes his stepsister. And Absalom then murders Amnon. This is David's own kin, kids. And then Absalom flees and then he returns. But when he returns, Absalom, David's son, begins a coup to take over the kingdom from his dad. And it's just chaos. And David flees, and he has to get out because of it all. And then chapter 18, <laughs> Absalom is riding a horse, and he gets his head caught in a branch of a tree, there's part of it that's kind of funny and a crazy amount of it that's crazy sad. Because out of that, then Joab takes three swords and drives them through Absalom's heart hanging on a tree. And listen, David's son dies. It's just catastrophe everywhere. And David's king, I just thought that after a certain point, everything would calm down, smooth out, and it'd be smooth sailing, but it's not. And I'm telling you, I have chapters 19 and 20 and there's more chaos. <laughs> it's this time of the year. Can we just get to the Christmas story? I mean, can we just go to a happy place? And a question rises out of this. You know those times when you come, particularly in the Old Testament, you come to these times where it's like, just like, 
Oh, heavy, heavy, heavy after chapter after chapter and all these weird names and all these weird places, all these weird events. And you're just like, oh, blah, blah, blah. It's just bumming me out. What do I do? Uh, I'm there. It's been so much heavy that I kind of want to today lead maybe by example because here's what I found. When you get to these places where it just drones on and on and the heavy and you're asking yourself, why ever since chapter 11 is there so much dark and ugly chaos that's going on? And then even today, there's more dark and ugly going on. God, what do I do? So here's what we're gonna do. We're gonna sum it and then we're gonna see it. Okay, I'm gonna take, I'm like the worst at keeping on time. All the staff knows that, but I'm putting myself on the table. 15 minutes, we're going to sum it, and then 15 minutes or thereabouts. <laughs> Grace. And then 15 minutes, we're going to step back, and we're going to see this in the whole big picture, because sometimes when you're so in the weeds, you just get lost. Oh, by the way, doesn't that happen in life? Sometimes you're so in the weeds that you get lost in the weeds and you need to step back. So I'm trying to live that out for us here today. So um, here's how I want to start. I want to start with just a beautiful picture. Because in all the ugly, I don't know, why not a beautiful picture, right? You just kind of just bring some life back. Uh, Lord willing, uh, the picture will have some meaning here uh, maybe in 15 minutes from now. Uh, but I do also want to put two statements along with this picture. Statement number one, from the curse flows the river of chaos. From the curse flows the river of chaos. Statement number two, from the cross flows the river of grace. From the cross flows the river of grace. And so God, we right now, we ask for your help as we dive into your word. We're here. Life is flowing and rushing around us. And we've kind of come together. And we want to be here to hear from you. So Spirit of God, would you use the word of God in the various lives, this mosaic reality of what's going on in everyone's life. God, use this. Encourage us, help us, challenge us, direct us. Show up, because without you here, we're in trouble. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Chapter 19, let me do some summary. Um, Pastor Chris carried through the eight, first eight verses. Let me actually pick up over like in verse nine, right before verse nine. I want to read a, a little bit of it and then I'll summarize the rest of it. Uh, the paragraph begins right before verse nine. Now Israel had fled every man to his own home. Verse nine. And all the people were arguing throughout the tribes of Israel. 
Know this, when you first hear that, you and I are generally thinking all of Israel. But understand, this is talking about the northern tribe of Israel. If you go to the back of your Bible, there's a map in there. At this period of time, when David is king at this point, there's the northern tribe of Israel and there's the southern tribe of Judah. He's king over both, but they have not yet come together as one. And so in the northern tribe, what's going on? All the people on the, nor- on the northern tribe are arguing throughout the individual tribes. They're saying, the king delivered us from the hand of our enemies and saved us from the hand of the Philistines. And now he has fled out of the land from Absalom. But Absalom, whom he, we, we anointed, by the way, that's important, who we anointed over us is dead in battle. Now, therefore, why do you say nothing about bringing the king back? And David sent this message to Zadok and Aviathar, the priest, saying, say to the elders of Judah, David is, so we just heard what's going on in the northern, David is now having something to say to the southern tribe of Judah. And he says, uh, say to the elders of Judah, why should you be the last to bring the king back to his house when the word of all Israel has come to the king? Uh, you are my brothers, you are my bone and my flesh. Why then should you be the, the last to bring back the king and say to Amasa, keep in mind his name, are you not my bone and, and my flesh? Uh, God, do so uh, to me and more also. If you are not commander of my army from now on in place of Joab, and he, David, swayed the hearts of all the men of Judah, the southern tribe, as one man, that's cool, fussing up here, united down here, but the two aren't united. And he swayed the hearts of the men of Judah as one man so that they sent word to the king, return both you and all your servants. So the king came back to the Jordan and, and Judah came to Gilgal to meet the king and to bring the king over the Jordan. The northern tribe is all arguing. Blah, 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 blah. Isn't it interesting? Why can't God's people just get along? Southern tribe, they're united around what's taking place on it. And they're, they're saying, David, come back. And so David, from where he is over in the forest of Ephraim area, he moves over towards the Jordan River. He's not in these areas yet because he was outside. And so he's moving over towards the Jordan. The elders of, of Judah are moving over towards the Jordan. Is running. So it's, it's like a moment. It's about to cross the Jordan here at this point in time. And, and this is what's taking place. And then out of the text, we have three men that we meet. First man, man is verse 16, is Shemi. He's a Benjaminite. He's a Benjamite. Uh, in chapter 16, uh, Shemi had committed treason. Hear me. He committed treason, even in our country, that's punishable by death. He had committed treason against David. Um, he then it tells us he, in hearing of all this, he rushes over. He actually crosses the Jordan to meet David, to meet with him. Why? Because he, he, he asked David to save his life. David, uh, have mercy on me. I did wrong. And uh, by the law at the time, he should have been killed. But David said, I, I won't do that. I'll spare your life. And then we meet, uh, uh, the next is Mephibosheth. Uh, he's Jonathan's crippled son. We met him back in chapters four, chapter nine. He's made mention in chapter 16. He's the next one to come to meet David. So you have uh, Shemi comes over and then the text is just like Mephibosheth. He comes over. Uh, Mephibosheth could, some kind of say, he's a bit of a, a conniver. I think there's legitimacy for that. 
Um, he wasn't a straight up all the way guy. You kind of wonder what's going on, but it's interesting in the text because it says that when he goes to meet David, he's just physically a wreck. His hair's grown out, his nails are grown out, his clothing is just a mess with what's happening. It's like, what, what, the text doesn't really tell us like, what's up with Mephibosheth here? Is he just unable to care for himself? Some kind of argue for that. Uh, I, I kind of lean towards the side where, side where some of those actually in this say that Mephibosheth, ever since Absalom had, 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 had taken over and David had left, uh, Mephibosheth was committed to David and he's like, uh, kind of like almost taking a vow of, I'm not gonna take care of myself until the Lord's anointed is back. There's a cool part in that. Note this, Mephibosheth at the time, even though he was a son of Jonathan, he doesn't have wealth at this point of time. Uh, Even what he was given has kind of been taken away, basically. He doesn't have anything fiscally to provide the king. And I'll say this, he doesn't have anything physically to provide to the king. And I'll note this, and yet the king receives him. Friends, I'm already telling you the gospel is here. Shimmy is the guy who was always siding with whoever would bring him the most for his own personal benefit. And yet the king even provides blessing to him. Mephibosheth doesn't have anything really physically or fiscally to offer the king, and yet he provides. And then the last one we meet in verse 31 is this guy named Barzillai. He's an 80-year-old. 80-year-old's on the horizon. <laughs> he's an 80-year-old. He's a, he's a wealthy farmer. He had used his wealth to actually help and assist David and care for David during some of this time. Sweet man in using what God had given this. David blesses him. David says, hey, come live with me. Finish your days out with me and I'll, I'll care for you. And he actually says, no, and I totally get it. He says, no, no, l- l- let me, I want to go home. Let me go home and finish my days out at home with my family. I actually think in this, one of the cool things about this whole text and all of this is, particularly with these three individuals, is what stands out for me is that in all the chaos that's going on and everything surrounding, David is the blessing giver here. And looking at the whole big picture of scripture in the gospel, the son of David, the son of Abraham, who comes and dies on the cross, is the blessing giver. And I think we see shadows of that even here in the Old Testament for sure. And then I'll finish out chapter 19, verse 39. Then all the people went over the Jordan and the king went over and the king kissed Barzillai and blessed him and he returned to his own house. Verse 40, the king went on to Gilgal and to Kiham, uh, Kimham uh, went on with him and all the people of Judah and also half the people of Israel brought the king on his way. Then all the men of Israel came to the king and said to the king, this is just like... Uh, Parents, this is just like what happens in the home with the kids because you and I would never do this either. Then all the men of Israel, the northern tribe, came to the king and said to the king, "Um, why have all our brothers, uh, you get the eye tone, why have all our brothers, the men of Judah, stolen you away and brought the king and his household over the Jordan and all David's men with him? All the men of Judah answered, so here's the southern tribe, answered the men of Israel, because the king is our close relative. 
When they are, why then are you angry with this matter? Have we eaten at all, uh, at all at the king's expense? Or has he given us any gift? And the men of Israel answered the men of Judah, yeah, well, we have 10 shares in the king. And in David also, we have more than you. I'm sure the tone was like that, but that's really the heart of the matter. Why then did you despise us? Were we not the first to speak of bringing back our king? Hey, we were doing it first. That's our toy. But the words of the men of Judah were fiercer than the words of the men of Israel. Many things we could be talking about here, but I'm just going to say as you look at this, it's just more chaos. Hey, have you noticed that people are complicated? Other people. (laughs) wouldn't you just think that God's people should like be able to get along I've learned over the years as a student as an employee as an employer as a pastor working with people is a joy and I'm Absolute, delightful joy. Stack up all the task of things, and when it really comes down to the highlights of life are the highlights of things with people. But I've also learned, and so have you, that people are complicated. You know, one of the hardest things in all of life is to unite people. One of the greatest challenges for sure. I mean, all the unique perspectives, all the unique personalities, all of the unique experiences of life, all of the unique passions, as even as those passions ebb and flow, all of the preferred directions all of the personal opinions and trying to bring people together and friends, it's particularly increasing a challenge today. It's almost more like people are getting more and more thrilled about saying what they're divided about than what they're united about. And it hasn't changed. This has been the story for, well, ever since the garden. Chapter 19, it's chaos. Chapter 20, just real quick. Verses one and two. Now there happened to be there a, what man? Yeah, I'm reading the standard version. It says a worthless man. Uh, This man, Shiva, he's a scoundrel. He's the son of uh, Bikri, whatever his name is, Mr. B, a Benjaminite and... He blew the trumpet, we're told, and and he said, uh, after blowing the trumpet, we have no portion in David, and we have no inheritance in the son of Jesse. Every man to his tents, O Israel, verse 2. So all the men of Israel, northern tribe, withdrew from David and followed Shiva. But the men of Judah, the southern tribe, followed their king steadfastly from the Jordan to Jerusalem. And then you come into verse three and you have this very interesting and almost bizarre one verse interlude about 
the ten concubines of David. And, and I, I think it's highlighting, I think the writer of, of, the, of Second Samuel here, First and Second Samuel, I think the writer here is like inserting this moment where he's reminding us as readers that David's sins still are bearing out. And these ten concubines who really are, we'll call them de facto widows now, they bear a price for David's sin. Sin matters, and it carries consequences with it. It's almost as though we're reminded. Then verse 6, David uh, knows that Shiva is going to bring him great harm, so David has his men pursue him. Joab, the guy who drove three spears through Absalom's uh, heart while he's hanging off of a tree by his head, brutally kills a man named Amasa, who he in chapter 19, then verse 16, a wise woman tells Joab that Shiva is going to be beheaded. And then in verse 22, he is beheaded. They ooh, they throw his head over. It lands at Joab's feet, double ooh. And then uh, Joab blows the trumpet and they return to their homes and, and Joab returns to Jerusalem and you're reading all this and you're just going, ah, can we just get to the Christmas story? Why all the chaos? Why is it that God has allowed much of his scripture, good portions of his scripture, to just have like this, and sorry drummers, but just have this drum beat that goes on and on to a point where it becomes so annoying. Like, God, can you just stop talking about the chaos? Give me fluffy bunnies and dark dove chocolates. Just give me that. But yet God, friends, understand this. God has invested a good number of the pages of his word to kind of have this drumbeat droning on of chaos, 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 chaos. Why? Because from the curse flows the river of chaos. I'm actually going to suggest that one of the reasons that God does this in his word at times is because you and I, we don't want to hear about the chaos of our own hearts. And I think sometimes in God's word, he's like, you know what? I'm not going to go to fluffy bunny stuff right now because you just don't want to face the fact that you live in chaos and the truth of the matter is, is you live in the chaos of your own heart and you need to hear the chaos of other people again and again and again so that I pull you back and you come to realize there is chaos and adversity in your heart. Because friends, if we do not understand the chaos that is in our heart and the chaos that is in the world, then the cross and the grace of the cross doesn't matter. So I'm not trying to be the downer Doug here in all this. I'm trying to bring the, the, what this fact of the matter to the table of what's going on. And the, from, the, from the curse flows the river of chaos. Let's step back. Let's step back. The curse. The curse goes back to Genesis 3. God had created Adam and Eve in his image and put them in the Garden of Eden. We'll call it literally heaven on earth. 
and it's like millions of things to do and God had given them a task and, and it said, spread, go, fill it more like you. I want more like you. And there they are put in the garden there and God says, yeah, but there's one thing, just not that thing. Just don't, don't take of that tree. Just that's it. a million other things you can do, just not that one. But friends, then the slithering adversary comes along and spurs within us this thing that it's like among the millions of marvelous things that God has put on the table. You know, the fact that I can't have one thing bothers me. And I can't be satisfied with the millions of things. By the way, today people are even arguing about why did God do that? Listen, friend, God provided them with million, billion, zillion, trillion, whatever number you want to grab a hold of of wonderful, marvelous things. And he just said, just, just not that. And yet in that, there is something in us that desires to be our own king and queens of our universe. And the fact that there's one thing that I'm told not to do spurs in me the desire I got to have it. And he just asks, why would we do that? And then we go, why did they do that? They blew it. No, when they sinned, we sinned. Because we would have done the same thing. And the curse comes in. And out of the curse, you just begin to flow from the pages of scripture. Chaos ensues. Cain and Abel. The world just gets to a place where it's so tanking that God says, reboot time. And then it keeps going in the drumbeat of the chaos. In the garden, God said this way, but they said no our way. Times of Noah, God said this way, and the people said no, it's our way. In the days of Abraham and Sarah, Abraham and Sarah, God said no, here's how I'm going to do it. And they said, well, apparently your way isn't working quite right, so we're going to take your way and we're going to turn it into our way. And then you, you move through the book of Judges and it's a continuing story. Four centuries, 400 years of God's people, for the most part, doing what was right in their own eyes. You see, because within me and within you is this desire to be the king and queen of our own vastness. And everyone around us is servants for my kingdom. And then you wonder, why is there such chaos? Because we're all kings and queens wanting to rule. From the curse flows the river of chaos. Do you see it? Do you see it in you? You see, this story is our story. But here's the cool thing. In our chaos, the second person of the Trinity, God in the flesh, stepped out and put boots on the ground here. In our chaos. To step in our place to go to the cross, to receive the full judgment of the Godhead, full judgment of the Father that you and I deserve to have. And in our place, 
as the perfect sacrifice took our judgment. Conquered sin, conquered death, rose from the grave. We sang about that earlier. And scripture says, as many as who would receive, to them he gave the right to become children of God. And his work has been made available and offered out, not by works, Ephesians 2, but by grace you have been saved through faith. It's not of yourselves. It is a gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. And that grace pours in and we become a child of God, redeemed, reconciled, forgiven, sealed, adopted, Boom. Now, the cross, from the cross flows that river of grace. And I do ask the question, do you know Christ? Do you have that story as your story of understanding who you are before God, what God has done? And now what do you do? Here's what I've observed over the years in working with people, both as a lay person and as a vocational person. There is a gospel that has been presented and particularly, well, I'll just say because I live here in America. There's a gospel that has been presented that goes like this. Come to Jesus and the rapid waters of your life will be removed. And in fact, you canoeing on this river, you will now be taken over and put on a nice, calm, beautiful lake. Kind of like the image we saw with one of the songs earlier. Come to Christ and all will be made smooth sailing. And then people come to, I'm gonna say it this way, come to that Christ and then adversarial life hits. And they're like, what? I thought. No, friends, I'm gonna say this. That that I just described is not the gospel. And I mean this seriously. If that is the gospel you have received, you don't understand the gospel. Well, let me use this river illustration. Um, ever since the curse and sin came, we are all in canoes going down the rapids. So this is the west side of Indianapolis here, all right? Oh, I wish. We are, figuratively, all canoeing. By the way, those in Christ are canoeing in the same river as those without Christ. We haven't been removed from the river of rapids and the river of the curse. Let me try and build that out if I can here. Canoeing along. You hear about the gospel of Christ and the story of what life is all about. And you come and you receive Christ as your savior. I want out of the heart chaos. I need hope for my heart chaos. I say it better that way. And I come to know Christ as my savior. 
And in that, what happens? There is something divine that takes place in that time. Me alone in my canoe, I now have a divine partner called the third person of the Trinity, the Holy Spirit. In my canoe. Oh, and over on the bank is the Father and the Son. You see, uh, because uh, Jesus is not the Jim Caviezel uh, uh, movie Jesus. Today, he is the Revelation chapter one, resurrected, glorified, magnified Jesus Christ, sitting next to the Father as our advocate. And the Father is not blind to what's going on, but, oh, oh, I get worked up. The Son is there on our... On our behalf, with the Father. He's mine, she's mine. I'm here, not pulled out of the rapids. We're still hitting rocks. Spirit in the back. Hey, Doug, hang right. Times tips the whole canoe over. Spirit of God is bringing it back. And, and we are all, we come together on Sundays. All our canoes, boom, come together. Oh, let me add one. When we get married, oh, I could just go on for a long time. When we get married, we attach our canoe to another canoe. And we're one canoe. And then you have kids. Okay, you got it. And, and we come together. And we are here doing what we are doing in the rapids as life continues on in the chaos of it, reminding ourselves of the hope of the gospel. And in small groups during the week as we all leave. And then some of us, (laughs) you got it. Oh, and then as we are in our community, as you're going to work, as you're going to school, And other canoers who don't know Christ are in the same river. And they're watching. And in this we say, do you know Jesus? Do you know the Jesus that we just talked about? We're not talking about getting you out of the rough waters. We're talking about in the rough waters, redeemed in Christ, sealed by the Spirit. Oh, by the way, there is an impending fork in the river ahead. And all of those with Christ will be flowing to Revelation 21 and 22, river of life through the eternal state. Oh, oh. And Revelation 20, fork of the road without Christ. Friend, there's an impending waterfall. We don't want that for you. Do you know Christ? In fact, I'm just going to ask is there anybody in here who's like, I'm not sure, I'm not going to embarrass you, I'm not going to, is there anyone canoeing along in life right now? That's like been a part of these canoers here? That you're like, I'm really not sure. Put up your hand, if, if that's okay, I'm not going to do anything. Is there? Awesome. Here's the deal. Canoers in Christ, people come together around them. 
I don't even have to do anything from here. If you're not sure, canoers, there were a couple hands in here. Canoe and love and walk with. Canoe with or with, whatever you call that. In all the chaos, we now know why there is chaos. Because it comes from the curse. It comes outside, it comes inside, it's from our, we've seen it in David, David's brought the adversity on himself, we've seen others bring it on David, and it's the same story for you and I. And I'm 60 years old now. I've seen a little bit of life, experienced a little bit of life, and just from my own story, you want to know Christ. Because the money doesn't do it. The title doesn't do it. The chicks or the dudes don't do it. Popularity doesn't make it. Christ does. And if you're canoeing alone, saddle up with another canoer. So Lord, I'm going to leave it there at that place because our people are the kind of people who want to get with those and be with those. And God, I, I pray that you would just do a work amongst us. You'd do a work through us. You'd do a work around us. You'd do a work out of us. God, we read these texts of scripture and they just sometimes drone on with this chaos and this discouragement and this, oh, exhaustion. And yet the truth of the matter is, is that's the story of our lives. We're complicated, and people are complicated, but the gospel is not. And God, in the chaos of it all, there is grace that flows out of the work of the cross and the empty tomb, and the price has been paid, and sin has been conquered, and death has been conquered, and that's why we're here, and that's what we're about, and that's what we want to be in the rapids, bring glory to you. Would you do that work? God, help us. Move us. Sustain us.